Welcome to the Ali Maz Show, where we focus on human being and spiritual living with a deep inclination for the divine. Together, we delve into the seen and the unseen. We explore what it means to be well and whole from the inside out. Over the last 17 years, I've been focused on how movement, breath, and the power of the mind can liberate us from the template of our conditioning and carve a path to live a truly authentic life. My hope is that my guests will inspire and expand you to continue to choose the life that is yours. Welcome to the Ali Maz Show. Today's guest is Mara Branscombe. Mara is a mother, a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, spirit coach, TEDx speaker, and ceremonialist. <laughs> She's so many things. She's also the author of two beloved books, Ritual as Remedy and Sage, Lover, Huntress, and Queen. Mara is an adventurous spirit. She has sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, trekked across the Himalayas, studied yoga in India, planted trees in Canada's north, lived off the grid in a remote cabin in the woods. She's worked as a Waldorf school teacher and then found her passion for dance and choreography, which I also deeply relate to. All while yoga, meditation, mysticism, and ritual have been at the heart of her journey. Welcome to the podcast, Mara. I'm so excited that you're here. Ali Maz, what a true, true honor and a pleasure and a joy to sit in conversation with you. Mm. Mara, I was trying to recall the, the first time I met you and I don't, it's not clear in my head, but I just know I ended up in one of your classes and I felt like, oh, there's someone I want to be like. <laughs> that was my first thought because I knew dancers always can recognize each other, I think. Um, and just the way you spoke and the way you moved around the room, I felt um, sort of like a mirroring um, and a role model and someone that I wanted to, to, to be like. There was a poise that I understood through dance, but there was an embodiment that was different than what I had been witnessing in my dance teachers. And I was just so struck by um, the, the, almost the, the weight to the presence in the room um, and it was just this grace that struck me so deeply. And I, I would have been young, I think. I'm, I'm sure I would have been 19 or 20, something like that. Um, and I just thought, okay, there's, there it is. <laughs> that's, some, that's someone who I want to be like. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love that, that word poise and the weighted poise, uh, the weighted grace. Um, you know, I have so many inspiring teachers and, and mentors that have graced me with that perhaps weighted poise. Um, and I, I am in awe of, you know, how we can show up uh, to the work and how we shift through the stages and the ages and the cycles and the years. Yeah, that's something and, and I really witnessed in your work and something that really inspires me and through your books, which we'll definitely get to is um, you're maybe one of the first people I really saw living cyclically, mm. talking and teaching about the moon, talking and teaching about seasons. And I, I think the older I get, the more I really understand it. Yes, I understand the seasons of the year. Uh, I'm really deeply understanding the seasons of my own body and my own menstrual cycle. Um, but now the seasons of my life as I come into my late 30s and, and what it looks like to be a woman. And I think for, for you are such a beautiful example of woman and mm -hmm. uh, embodying all the female archetypes. And I actually have one of your books. Here. I mean, I have both of them, but I have Sage Huntress, Lover Queen. And you know this, that the pages are falling out. It's like, <laughs> you know, this I have a million pages lined and circled. And I'm curious, what archetype right now in your life are you, are you sort of currently working with or embodying? Mm -hmm. Well, in my 50th year on this planet, which I am so uh, overjoyed to um, tell everyone, I turned 50 this year. I turned 50 this year. And, you know, part of my work is I feel I'm being really called to reframe aging um, at this time for, for women, for men um, to you know, really 
take a hard look at all the ways in which we um, deny ourselves of this journey of maturation. So I am working with the sage right now. And the sage is the wise elder that lives inside each one of us. The sage is the one who is a healer. The sage is the one a healer of self and perhaps maybe healer of others. And working, I'm working with my intuition in a deeper way than I ever have and trusting that. And so I'm, I'm really working with that sage mm. archetype right now. I love that. I, we've spoken about this before and I think sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm I live in Los Angeles. I feel impacted by not seeing people age truly yes. <laughs> like their faces not moving and everyone sort of looks like this hybrid between 25 and 55 and there's no judgment there. It's just, you don't really see aging, mm-hmm. um, in the same way. And this is, you know, we're in Hollywood. This is sort of the town where you're, you're not allowed to age. Um, yeah. certainly not for women. And, um, it gave me chills when you were speaking about, you know, like just being proud of the age you are and we just don't see it. We don't see it in our media represented and we don't see women speaking about it. It's like, there's a shame around aging. And mm-hmm. I think the conversation is changing, but I'm curious when you turned 50 on the day of your birthday, Um, Did it feel like this massive celebration inside of you? Was there any sort of reckoning um, with the age, the number itself? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Well, I think I was preparing almost the whole year, really, because I knew I was going to be stepping into my 50th year. And, And so when I actually, you know, on the day turned 50, you know, I just, I feel really proud, actually. I feel really proud of, um, us as women right now and our capacity to tap into this feminine power. And I mean, we're seeing it more than we ever have. And I know that you're, you know, in LA and you're seeing different things and that's, it's all part of it. Um, But I, I just feel like there's a movement. There's, there's a calling for the feminine to come into leadership and power um, in a way that hasn't been before in a way that is um, motivated by authenticity, by truth, by intuition. And, and that's all what 50 is to me. Like, that's like, okay, let's like, let's, you know, journey up to the, the peak of the mountain and, and look at your, the entire book of your life, the entire book of 50 years on this planet. And where's the gold and what is, where's the letting go, you know, and that's when we work with the moon is, is, you know, so powerful, you know, the full moon we want to, it actually reflects back to us what could be out of balance. So if we can look at that, can, and we stay in this cyclical energy. So full moon, we just, we may feel and see the drama of, of our life. And then it's for us to be able to refine and discern what we no longer want. And the new moon is that you know, capacity to create new beginnings, new seeds, those aha moments, those new little glimmers of intuition that come forward. Yeah, I love that. It's so beautifully explained. And I'm curious, we just had a big full moon this week. And I'm curious and and what sort of process you're in right now, mm-hmm. um, in terms of letting go, and then maybe what process you're in, in terms of creating, and that could be the physical uh, manifestation, or maybe something else. Yeah. It's, you know, I feel also that I'm, I've just finished writing these two books. So I, I really spend about four years in my home writing. <laughs> and there's this amazing energy I have right now, which is like, we have a whole city here in Vancouver to go and see art and be inspired by other artists and different mediums and immerse myself in, in humanity and the beauty of, you know, humanity. And so I, I feel like I'm, wanting to be more um, social and also more expansive Mm -hmm. in what I'm creating with and from. And so it's almost as if it's going um, that, you know, my writing process right now is, is moving into a whole nother plane that I I haven't um, experienced before. And and so, you know, every morning I wake early to meditate and do breath work. And, um, and then I go into a little bit of creative writing. And right now I'm just letting it be like, so expansive, almost like you're at the top of the mountain and you're looking out and you're not sure what the next, you know, journey is going to be. And that's such a beautiful place to be. And it's a vulnerable place to be 
It can be a really scary place to be. It can be that kind of place. I've been asking myself, like, who am I? Or, you know, what's going on here? Where, where do I want to put my energy now? How can I, you know, be as true to myself as possible and share that with the world that's going to create good impact? Yeah. It's amazing. I just, you know, I think when I was younger on this path, um, you know, 19, 20, think, oh, if I just go through this sort of one portal, this one process and shed these layers, then, then I'm done. <laughs> and then the, you know, and all through my twenties sort of thinking, okay, oh, here's another one. And oh, here's another one. And the older I get, the, the more I learn that it's, it's never ending this process of asking the question, well, who am I now? You know, what's emerging in me now? And before we pressed record, I was saying to Mara, part of the reason why I wanted to have a podcast is like, I'm a wholly new person than I was six months ago last year. And I, I just feel, and I, I know you feel this too, is like constantly seeking new mediums to express oneself. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to take it back maybe a little from, you know, you've done so much in your lifetime, um, but from... How did you get to this woman now? You know, you you were teaching school, you were dancing, choreo- uh, choreographing, and then yoga, and then you've really deepened into ritual and ceremony, and some of your studies have been really fascinating. So I'm curious, how did you get to be the teacher that you are mm. now, given all of that experience and, and study? You know, I bring it back to uh, the gift I ha- received, which was to be mentored by a group of women called Sisters of the Shields. This was pre-internet, and I was 17, and in the mail, so my best friend, her mom was part of this, and it was a pagan Wicca kind of circle thing going on. I had no idea about any of it, but I knew that I wanted to know more about the moon because my first memory is probably a lot of us maybe have had this experience, but I specifically remember the very first memory is me staring at the full moon over the lake at our family cabin. And so fast forward that to when I was 17, I would receive a package a month with the downloads of the new moon and the full moon and the solstices and the equinoxes. So I was gifted those insights and those teachings at 17 years old. And no one else in my family was into this. None of my friends except my other, you know, my my best friend whose mom was into it. And so I think that was really what, you know, created me. And then, of course, I went from that into um, planting trees every, every, every summer to get me through, you know, my couple of degrees. And then instead of going and doing my master's, I went to India instead. And that was at 20 or 21. So, you know, I spent a year in India, Thailand and Nepal and and doing like 12 day meditation sits and, you know, doing teacher trainings and yoga. So I really think that those formative years um, have, you know, landed in inside of me so, so strong that it then built, I believe the the path before me. Wow. <laughs> I did not know this story. Um, and I'm so moved by it because, you know, I work with teenagers yeah. a lot and I remember how I felt at 17 and to receive a package in the mail of just this like mystic, you know, um, almost, it must've felt really secret almost like no one, at least now, I mean, when I talk to the teens about the moon, they're like, yeah, yeah, we love the moon. You know, (laughs) they're there. It's just, the language is so different, but I would think that when you were 17, like how exquisite to, to be initiated into something like that. So young. That's why I think I'm so, I feel so connected to you and the work you do. I just put that together right now because the work that you're doing is so essential and so deeply important. And I want to give you, you know, the biggest love blanket right now, wrapping you cozy tight in that, because I know it's really hard work and it's changing lives and families. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. I received that. I received mm-hmm. that. Um, what does it look like as a mother? You have two young girls. Um, what are their ages now? Yes, I can't wait to send them to one of your programs. <laughs> it's like, they're almost ready. They're ready now. Um, yeah. They are 9 and 12, almost 10 and 13. So um, Dessa Rose turns 13 on January 1st, and Phoenix turns 10 on April 8th. So I'm in it over here. And I will be in it for another six years. I mean, I'll be calling you, Allie, yes. <laughs> help. <laughs> what do I do? What do I say? No, it's no. such an interesting time. Um, and that sort of 12 to 13 threshold, I'm, I'm curious what it's meant for you as a mother. You know, it's like the sort of rite of passage time um, yes. for, for her, come, you know, and the ind- individual is really starting to, and maybe different for your daughter. I, I know it happens at different times, but you know, the individual starts to really push, <laughs> really push. And you know, what I've found in, is if I can stay taking care of myself, if I can stay regulated, um, daily as a daily practice so that I can be that pillar for her, for both of my daughters. I can be that pillar that they can come to at any time with anything. And that's that I feel that's happening and that's working. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, I always think about it as, um, you know, the spiral, the drawing into the center of the spiral. And then what's at that center of the spiral? Let, let us say it's the home, it's the hearth, it's the heart. And I'm always going to be there for them at the center of the spiral, no matter what. And then they need to go out and they need to explore life and they need to get a little crazy and a little wild. And I, I can't take any of that personally. And I can't, I know they need to, you know, kind of move through some of these intense energies. We've got a lot of hormones happening now. There's, you know, heated energy, there's frustration, um, comparison, I'm seeing it all. And the more quality time I can spend with them is I feel like without any expectation from them or, you know, just I it used to be that I could get them in nature like all the time and we'd go and do all our rituals together. It's starting to shift a little bit. Um, and, and I, you know, I honor that in their, in the rituals now I'm meeting them. Well, now how do I create new rituals? And for example, like my 12 year old, she loves to thrift. It's amazing. I've got her into the art of thrifting and like creating outfits and sewing and, you know, so now that's like our ritual. At first, she was like a shy and afraid. What if someone sees me, you know, in the thrift store and, you know, like that. But now she's like, oh, let's go thrift, mom. <laughs> and so that becomes like a little treasure hunt for us, you know, where we have those like also really deep conversations on the way there and back. Um, so that's just an example of how I've, you know, feel like as parents and as partners and as friends, we we do need to shift. We do need to find how can I meet you here now? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so sweet. And I and I I'm also really inspired and moved by it because you know I work with a lot of teenagers and by way of that I work with a lot of mothers and um not everyone is demonstrating um this type of regulation, self-regulation, yeah. um, and being as interested as meeting them where they're at. And something my teacher says is, um, you know, everyone thinks they want a baby or yeah. And sure. Everyone wants a kitty or a puppy, but do you want a human? Do you want, yeah. do you want the, the 11 year old, the 12 year old, the 13 year old. And I'm sort of at that age where a lot of friends that have babies and going through baby stages and then some friends that have teenagers and it's like, well, whoa, what happened? And, and I'm like, did you not expect at some point that, you know, your little one is going to start to, to be an individual. And I think a lot of parents aren't prepared for that. Um, and I just see it time and time again. And I, I think about that a lot, you know, you know, this about me and I'm open about this where I, I, I do want to be a mother, but it's been a, a hard converse or not hard um, conversation, but a hard decision weighing the decision for me. Um, because I know maybe it's because I work with so many teenagers that it gives me pause, but I, I'm not just, um, looking at, Oh, like cute little baby clothes. I'm looking at who is going to be that, that 12 to 13 year old. Um, that's, that I think is the, the biggest calling of motherhood is, is really this age. Absolutely. And you're not aware of that if you're not in that line of work. I mean, (laughs) 
Yes. And the Waldorf teacher training I did, I feel I did that training to be a mother, to tell mm. you the truth. I feel mm. like I did work in the school um, for some time and it was, and I miss it, that job still. I taught kindergarten, if you can imagine, yeah. uh, just like they were my teachers. They were like, oh, it was so, so incredible. And now when I look back, you know, we look like, why do we do things that we do in the time? And um, I, I definitely piece that part together that yeah. I was preparing for motherhood. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I, uh, and that was, yeah, the weaving kind of of your story into how you, you got here. I love that, that, that teaching is a, is a piece of it, um, being a school teacher and working with little, mm. little kindergartners. Um, I'm curious about dance. Cause I know that we, we, um, sort of have a similar path there. I'm curious how dance or if it does show up in your life, um, mm. this current place. Well, I miss it. I miss dance. Me too. <laughs> and I I think I've shared this with you before. It feels as if the words that I write um, are somehow the choreography that I used to create. So, you know, and I, I lead myself through expressive dance and uh, authentic movement. In fact, I lead others through that with that's moving with eyes closed. And so just really, you know, moving from the inside out. And so that's, you know, that's where it's at for me, uh, right now. And I see all the dance shows I can. And actually my daughter Phoenix is a dancer, um, a gifted dancer. And so I'm playing it really like, again, very spacious for her. So she gets to choose. I'm not the dance mom. Um, I'm, you know, I'm the mom that says, okay, yes, if you want to do that. So, um, but you know, I really do miss, I, I miss that, the discipline, the rigor, the, the physicality, the expressive energy. And yet I feel that the artistry now in me, um, again, it's almost like the dancing happened at that stage and cycle of my life so that I could, you know, be in the dance of life now. Mm-hmm. I so get that. I think dance has, um, especially at a young age, incredible ways to, um, I don't just taught me so much. It feels like the foundation of everything I do. And I love that you said writing feels like the choreography and, um, you're someone who I know holds a very, uh, sacred and disciplined practice with writing. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that because uh, I have a lot of people that ask, oh, how did you write a book? And mm-hmm. how do you, how do you stay, you know, connected? And and I just think that you're someone I really look to, you know, when I wake up in the morning and light my candle, I think I know Mara's <laughs> somewhere waking up, lighting her candle. <laughs> and so just, right. yeah, curious if it's always looked like that for you or when you starting to feel the call to write these books, did the discipline kick in stronger? <clears throat> yes. I started by first writing articles. That was a great practice. And when I look back to university, I definitely was a writer. I was writing back then. So, you know, it's like we have these things and then maybe we forget that we we, we have that capacity um, or we're asked to do something and then we're reminded by our capacity. That's what I felt like happened with me with writing. I was asked to write articles for Gaia, actually, for the platform where I had lots of videos. And I want to actually, that, that, was a, that was a wonderful permission for me to then write more. So that then I, I felt like, oh, this is really fulfilling me. I really like this. And it was when my children were very young. So I wasn't out and about traveling a lot. And, and so it, was, it gave me um, a beautiful sense of uh, fulfillment. And then um, it became much more creative as I went into the writing process. So my writing process is that I write um, early in the morning and that I wake early to write, um, especially when I'm writing a book. And, um, you know, I have an office in my house and it's French doors. And, and sometimes it's just like so hard, right? You're just there and it's so hard. Nothing's coming. Nothing's coming. And, you know, I, it's like Brené Brown's shitty first draft, right? Like you just got to push it out. You got to push it out. Who cares what it is? And I work with a lot of clients now. Um, so I have a private practice where I, I do um, spiritual counseling. Um, and, you know, I have a few clients that are... Um, have been given terminal diagnosis with cancer, actually. So it's been really big work that I'm doing, and I'm, I'm in supporting them to write, in fact. Um, and I'm 
teaching them how to do that shitty first draft and we call it chicken scratch and, and just like getting it out. And it's been incredible to witness how some of my clients feel after they actually have expressed themselves in like the deepest, darkest secret kind of way, like all the fear kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that gives me chills. That's big work. Um, yeah. I recently had a student who she's a death doula. And so her work is with be, being with people, um, at end of life and, um, the, the wisdom that just pours out of her, just have being witness to this and what pours out of people when they know, uh, that the end is near and, you know, death is, is the greatest teacher, um, uh, to live, <laughs> to really live. And I think, telling our story. And this is something, this is why I write. I think this is why everyone writes is that there's a story to be told and everyone, not just some, you know, it's not just, Oh, me and Mara get to, to write a mm -hmm. story and you don't, everyone can. And yes. finding that medium of expression. I mean, for my husband, it's his artwork. He expresses through his art and tells his story through his painting. Um, but those who feel like they want or need to write, write. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I would have survived without writing. Yes. It, it feels that dire to me. It is the lifeline. <laughs> it is the lifeline for me. Yeah. And I'm sure you're teaching, you know, all your teens and, and, and all of your students in your teacher training that, and that is such a gift, like for people who don't have that, um, inkling or haven't been kind of pushed in that way before. Um, it's a permission slip. It is. And it is, um, it's really important to understand then um, what the mind, what the tricky mind wants to say and what the, tr where the truth is. And so that's always what, you know, I, you know, I, I pray, uh, you know, that my work or our work as you light your candle first thing in the morning, I know you're there, you're out there too, but you know, to, to support others in understanding um, what ego is, what the tricky mind, what the narrative is. There's always going to be another narrative. We know that. But then where is the truth? And and um, how can you return to that more and more on a daily basis? And I believe that's how, I believe we're here to evolve. We all have a story and we're here to evolve. So how does that look for you personally? How are you going to meet yourself in your evolution? Mm, yes. And that uh, for me, and I don't know if you, have you done the artist's way of Julia Cameron's yeah, work? Yeah. yeah. That really changed things for me too, sitting down and doing morning pages just as a journaling, like, like you said, chicken scratches yeah. of just, here's all the bullshit that's in my brain until something starts to emerge. And generally it does not always in the beginning, mm -hmm. but for me, and now it's just quicker. The BS dissolves way faster than it used to, but a way, like you said, to, to come back home, um, to the truth and writing gets me there the fastest. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, there I am. I can locate myself. And now I can, you know, come to the book or to the draft or to the newsletter or to whatever I'm doing that day. Um, but that's been, uh, you know, the truest, practice for me is is exactly as you said where am I in this where's the truth in this mm -hmm. and I'm curious with with both books because I do believe that um we sort of channel you know it just sort of moves through us and and the first book did it how did it come to you how did it sort of mm -hmm. appear oh yes it was very strong it was a lightning flash of intuition I actually have it right here rituals remedy came um I saw myself um, actually standing uh, up be with the painting behind me that I made one day. I made that painting just really fast. It was a, it was a print of something else, and I decided that I wanted to paint over it. So um, we also, you know, it's like painting is dancing too, right? It's mm -hmm. that movement, that expression. But Rituals Remedy, I saw myself holding a book, and it was my book. And I hadn't even thought about writing a book. And I went, oh, shit, now I have to write a book. Like, it was so <laughs> strong, you know, it was so strong. And, it, you know, this was an online course for five years. So I did have the bones of, of you know, um, the content. And then I decided I would um, pitch it, you know, and took me 10 tries. Um, 10 no's, the next one, yes. 
So there we go. And it was the moment on that 10th no, I said, that's okay. I'm going to self-publish. The next day, I received an email that said uh, this publisher was interested. When I decided that I was going to do it myself, regardless, like no matter what, and I feel that that's the universe, like, you know, what do you turn your hands up? This is my thing recently I've been doing in my practice. I want to share it with you is um, I turn my hands up in meditation and then I ask myself, what am I saying yes to today? What am I saying yes to today? And, you know, the, it's we become magnet, magnetic frequencies then of that yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, my one of my teachers says that surrender is this or something better. And I've been really feeling into that. Mm. Surrender is like, okay, it's it, maybe it's this. Maybe I self-publish and then all of a sudden the next day, oh, yeah. here we go. Um, and the the letting go and it's it, it's interesting and we've we've spoken about this before and and I've shared openly about this sort of the last couple of years I was uh working for a company working for mostly men and really working in the masculine and something really shifted for me when I moved to America and really felt <laughs> capitalism and patriarchy mm-hmm. and white supremacy and um uh really firsthand in a different way than I had felt it in Canada and and sort of um flipped the switch of my intuition off and just kind of clicked back into this programming of mm. push, 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 um, until I couldn't push anymore, right? And I, the body says no, and and it just been this sort of beautiful uh, reckoning and awakening, and ultimately it led me here. I'm grateful for those couple mm. of years of contrast and teaching. Um, but what I'm learning so much is really this feminine, deeper feminine approach to not just my life, but to business and to my work. And, and to me, uh, the surrender is innately feminine, is innately uh, fluid. And instead of pushing, because I think so much of um, what the, the messaging we get as entrepreneurs is, you know, make it happen. And, you know, it's yeah. so much trying to control. And um, it's been so beautiful for me this year to watch the things I try to control and force, <laughs> watching them crumble in my hands. Yeah. And then the things that I surrender to, uh, and they work out more beautiful yeah. than I could ever imagine. And I'm mm. curious what that looks like for you. You know, you have so have such a diverse offering in the work that you do. Um, what role does surrender or the feminine principle play mm. um, in in business? You know, in <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I I'm learning a lot about that right now too. I would say. Um, and what I'm learning about is that very energy of what do I say yes to with the palms up in that level of, you know, magnetic frequency or energy then allows me to see what I don't want to be a part of anymore. And, you know, that, that whole energy about, about being a, a rested woman on this planet, like a, a relaxed and uh, rested woman on this planet um, in business is big because we um, there's there's a lot there's a lot of hustle there's a lot of um, that kind of box put putting us in boxes and I literally have had this image of the boxes falling the frames falling out the frames falling away and I think that you know my business. Um, I, I ask for guidance also in my morning meditation. I ask for guidance in the dream time. I have my team. Um, I have two VAs that are women that are incredible. And, you know, to, to work in this way of wellness with the books and the teaching and, and all of it is, it's like, even though there's so many different offerings, it is all one offering. And so it's about, you know, I'm learning a lot too about like saying no to certain things right now. Um, so I can be less busy. Um, so I can be more focused on, um, you know, the emergent project that's coming. Hmm. Yes. (laughs) I can't (laughs) wait to just see what you, you are creating next and, um, yeah, having a team is so important. And, and like you said, the relaxed woman, I, I 
interviewed Liz Gilbert years ago, and that was um, something that stuck with me. I don't really think I understood it at the time. I just thought, yeah, yeah, okay. And now I'm really understanding how revolutionary it is. And I sat on a panel on Monday and with some really brilliant women and um, but there's just an interesting thing that I sometimes find in these these worlds of these networks where, oh, I can feel the intensity and the anxiety and the, the quickening. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and I just was like doing my energy work up there on that stage, trying to breathe yeah. for these women, trying to get my breath down into my belly to like yeah. really get everyone to settle down. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so, and... God, Liz Gilbert is a queen. She is the queen at this. She is, she is the one. Um, I saw her speak here in Vancouver, and that's really what I received from her. Is like, you know, how can you be a relaxed woman on this planet? And I'm like, well, yeah. How can I be? That's a big tall ask, and it takes a lot of reprogramming. And it's like, you know. The spiral, again, the spiral is, you know, it's an ancient goddess symbol. I teach about it all the time. I have this big ammonite spiral fossil that I carry around with me and I show people. And when I was giving birth to my second daughter, um, my first birth, in fact, was a um, emergency cesarean after 28 hours of labor, not to scare anyone, but I just, you know, I always thought I was going to have the home birth. I was going to, you know, it was like, um, and then my second birth, was a home birth. And it was because I believe because I kind of trained myself in this spiral energy as I was moving through the contractions and my midwives, you know, allowed me to try and um, have a home birth. And it was like both of those teachings, I think both of those experiences made me who I am today Mm -hmm. because after that first birth experience, I thought there's nothing I cannot do on this planet. There is nothing I cannot do. Uh, what I what I did there is, you know, and then the second birth was like this kind of orgasmic experience of ecstasy and, um, you know, like other level, other dimensions of consciousness. Um, and so, you know, that that the spiral is like, okay, the center is the relaxed place. Yeah, we need to go back out. But then how do we come back in and find that breath and be a leader of the breath and be a leader of the regulation even in some of these big high-powered circles of um you know incredible capacity and um amazing people and yet um i think the work that we can you know share with the world is you can be that and be regulated at the same time yeah yes and and being like you said the example of it because i felt like i didn't see many examples of it, especially in my own family um, or teachers or dance teachers or or people that I looked up to. Um, I was seeing always instead this compulsion to worry and this compulsion to Mm. be constricted and in fear. And it, it, um, that's sort of what, when I, you know, um, sort of see and feel my lineage, it's, it's a lineage of, of, constricted women Mm -hmm. and I came out you know like a little asthmatic baby and you know (laughs) trying to find my breath and and I think that's sort of been the common theme through you know it's why I teach breath and breath work and um but but really learning how to breathe on my own in this lifetime because um I can just feel the the control and so um the deep patterning of for me it's it's it's, yeah the compulsion to worry you know when things are relaxed and calm I can the ego pops in and goes isn't there something we should be worried about right now isn't there something to stress about isn't there something to mull over and this year in particular it's like we talked about it before I pressed record the witnessing okay that's there that's old it's not mine it's an old paradigm there's nothing to be afraid of thank you so much goodbye yes moment to moment um until you get to a place where wow I actually can be this here at home and I can be this in LA traffic and I can be this you know in customs in a foreign country and then it gets really fun to play with but the examples for me certainly were not present yes yes and so it's like the unlearning to 
to find out who we are. And isn't that a life journey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, my teacher says that uh, a woman's favorite question is what's wrong. And I see that. I see that in my own life. I see that in my family. What What's wrong or what could be wrong? Or, oh, what's wrong? Um, yeah. And I think now really the reprogramming is what's right. What's good here? What's beautiful? Mm-hmm. What's working? Um, and and um, yeah, like you said uh, previous, like the shifting the negativity bias. And mm-hmm. I'm curious what that looks like in your life currently, in your own witnessing of the programming and, and ego. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, it takes me to be a rested woman to, in order to be be that. So I'm just going to call that out um, because, you know, that soul care piece is essential to being um, the witness because it's so easy to get caught up in the show. (laughs) And I've been witnessing really, you know, for the past two years also, as I've been teaching a lot about lunar cycles and I always host, you know, uh, events on, on moon days and What's really interesting is to witness and to muse upon whoever is in your household at full moon or your animals, even your friends, what kind of drama starts to rise? You know, what kind of imbalances do you start to see? Then you see them in yourself. Yes. And then can you see them not in a judgmental way, but in a compassionate way? And that's why um, I think writing the archetype book which also, which was quite a surprise. I, d- I had no idea I was going to write that book. Um, it wasn't um, it, until it like landed, I was like, oh, okay, that's the work. I, I, I received the message. Um, and what it taught me is as I went through each archetype quite deeply for two months, I lived each one. And then I, I came up with practices and meditations and breath and rituals that would go along with the huntress, for example, or the sage or the mystic, the queen, the lover, um, etc. And it taught me about being um, compassionate to that muse, to that lens. And it allowed me to track and see where it also lives in my daughters, in my husband, in my parents. So it's not not related to gender, but really like, oh, I see that's, that's that trigger, you know, for that person. And then understanding where that trigger comes from is what makes you a compassionate person to not judge, but to hold and to become the witness. Because everyone wants also a loving witness. Everyone. Yeah, everyone. And I, I think, um, you know, when I work with teens, the question I get the most is, well, you know, what was your training to do this and who and how do you work with them? And what's the sort of the, you know, everyone wants kind of like the, you know, the program or the Cole's notes. Okay. And I just said, I just <laughs> witness. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> it's really simple. There's no, um, there's no sort of agenda other than lovingly witnessing a young person and that's it. And I know that's what you do as a mother and as a partner. Um, And it's such a beautiful reminder that what needs to be in place in order to be a loving witness. And, um, and I, and it changes right with each cycle, you know, now coming into winter, we're going to need different things than we need needed in summer. And I'm curious what allows you sort of, I know that you're deep in your ritual practice and your care practices. And I'm curious if you can share with people maybe what a, what a day looks like for you as a, as a mother, partner, working woman, where are you implementing your care and what does, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, (laughs) and you can add a dog in the mix, a a high needs dog. So we have, (laughs) yeah, we have a high energy dog also. So I, um, I wake early, like five, five thirty, before others are awake. And, um, I do my, what, what I love to do is I don't turn any lights on as I, I light a candle so that I, I really work with seasonal light. Um, you know, on the Pacific Northwest over here, it's uh, pretty dark, um, in the mornings. So that candlelight really holds me. Um, and I, I go right to my seat and I have a meditation and a breath work. Um, and then I move into uh, writing practice. Um, then, uh, you know, getting the kids ready for school, making their breakfast, 
making their lunch. Uh, my husband's a corporate man, so he's out the door early and he's gone all day um, until 7 p.m. really. So, and then I'm, you know, I take the dog for a run. So I've become a runner again, which I really love. And I run in the forest and I run without listening to anything. So it's really important to me as I don't listen to music or podcasts because I, I want to be with my thoughts. As I'm running, I want to see what's coming forward. And I want to see and feel what the crap that's coming forward because the nature is so generous as to, you know, allow us to like channel the crap out and the crap meaning, you know, the negativity, the stories, the I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough, all that stuff. Really important. Also, I'm premenopausal. So um, I need to be physical right now. I need to sweat and I need to um, release, you know, um, but also in whenever and when I come home from my run, I'm always pretty lit up with some ideas, some great ideas. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I move into either um, uh, teaching uh, or guiding sessions, healing sessions. And then maybe I write a little bit more. Um, then I pick up my kids and, with food. Hot tip, never pick up your f- kids without snacks, but really good ones, lots. <laughs> Not crappy ones, good ones. And um, feed them often. Um, and then I take them to their lessons. I have one girl who's a horse, my uh, 12-year-old's a horseback rider. Yeah, she's really into riding. So we're at the barn three days a week for hours at a time. Um, and so I'm just, you know, juggling and then making their dinner. And often I get a little bit more work done before dinner or after dinner. Um, and then we spend time as a family together. Yeah. Wow. That's a full day. <laughs> That is a yeah, full day. You know, and it's, it's when I, and I live in close to nature. So that's where I do a lot of my ritual work. I have a special tree mm. that I work with. I call her the mother tree, uh, Suzanne Samard's, uh, uh, in honor of her book, the mother tree. Um, but she is a great teacher to me. I visit her daily. I hug her um, when it's moon time. I will do ritual t- with her um, also to the ocean. And so I feel pretty blessed to live near, near uh, nature. Yeah. 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 That was actually tied into my next question. I was curious, like what the ritual or sort of ceremonial aspects of your life looked like and who showed you, I mean, other than your, your, the package that would arrive, yeah. you know, on moon time when you were 17, <laughs> but curious where, um, the, the ceremonial aspect of your life came in and, and how you were sort of initiated into mm-hmm. some of these practices. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I was, when I was 18 and I started tree planting, um, I tree planted for six years and pretty rugged conditions and pretty awesome people. And I met um, a couple of people there that were showing me um, some moon rituals also. And so that, and they were, they had also been in India. Um, so that's also when I, when I went to India, I feel like I was initiated quite a bit into um, ceremonial um, energy that I had never experienced before in that way. And, um, yeah. And then I just continued to do a lot of trainings. I lived also in, um, in the North in Whitehorse for a season and, um, was, got to work with some indigenous women, um, doing sweat lodges with them. And, um, and then I've done training in the Peruvian shamanic lineage, um, and I've done, you know, I just, I've done some work in, in the pagan and the Wiccan tradition, which was very, very formative to me um, because I am Scottish, English, and Irish. So um, I feel like discovering that at a young age was also part of discovering my own ancestry. And so all of those things, and it just, I just kept leaning in. I just kept wanting to lean in more and more. And what I love is leading community, real-time, live ritual. It's one of the, I think the, the best things that I, I, I really love to do. And really it becomes a witnessing circle is what it is. It's a witnessing and listening circle. So I always create a lot of time for each person to share, um, when we are doing a ritual. And, um, I think that has great healing potential on this planet. Mm, agreed. I think anytime mm-hmm. people are in circle, 
uh, being witnessed is healing the planet. Um, and I feel that, that feel that deeply and, you know, we're seeing so much go on in the world now and always, and always have. And something that I've been, um, speaking about a lot and thinking about in my own life is, um, my own war within myself. And, um, you know, we can feel so helpless sometimes looking at what's going on outside of us. And, you know, the call always is to look within and, um, in where I'm waging, you know, not, not the type of wars I waged against myself in my twenties and, you know, but it's still there, you know, sometimes that, that mind of, of, uh, lens of, of, of violence and violence could be, you know, just a, a thought, a negative thought, yes. uh, a doubt, uh, you know, I think that sometimes the word war, you know, obviously carries heaviness and, and connotation to it, but, um, it's really looking at where I turn my back on myself or where I abandon myself. And, um, it's, it happens sort of unconsciously, um, for so many of us. And then when we start to, to peel back the layers and speak it out loud, I was just leading a women's retreat in Panama and we talked about this a lot. And at first it was like, well, what do you mean ending a war within myself? And as the week was unfolding, what was being shared was like, wow, I can be my own worst enemy. I am being violent with my thoughts mm. or violent with my lack of rest or my lack of care. Mm. Um, and so when we sit in the circle and we witness each other and we reveal um, what's going on is so potent because and if we're not witnessing each other, then you think, oh, I must be the only one that feels this way. I must be the only one. That's exactly it, right? You know, understanding and feeling connected um, that you are not alone, that you, you, you are not, um, the only one, you know, and, and that's, that really comes back to our sense of belonging, um, in, in a very disconnected world, in a very high, you know, paced media driven world where we used to be more and more and more in community. We, we used to be, you know, maybe it wasn't these conscious circles that we're having now, but we were sitting and having dinner with, you know, our extended family on a regular basis. And we were out on the farm working together, you know, doing mindful work together. And so where is it that you can find things like this, where you can be in a circle that's with like-minded folk? I think is a really important question to ask. Yeah. I think about that so much in terms of, and, and like I said, moving to America even felt it even more so the individualist and the, the sort of me first mentality and, and so nuclear and watching friends um, have babies and, and, you know, be in a really nuclear environment where they don't have the village you know, and so seeking out the village or for me, it was about creating the village. Okay. If I don't have this, how can I create it? How can mm -hmm. I continue to bring people in? Um, and so I just, I see that work that you're doing and it's so beautiful. It's so needed and doing these practices and rituals in nature and giving back to nature and receiving her. And I love this idea of going to your tree, being with your tree mm -hmm. and having that deep relationship with the tree and hugging the tree and touching the tree and receiving wisdom um, mm -hmm. it's so beautiful. I'm like, where's my, I gotta go find my tree. Yeah, find your tree. And you know, if you live in the city, my and it's like, yeah, it might be a park bench. It might be a park bench, but it's a place where you go often and you become the witness. And when you become the witness that allows you to, um, see more to regulate. First of all, it's a comfortable place. It's a place, you know, um, I pray there. I like, I literally, I hug my tree and I look up and it's like, it's a spectacular tree. And, you know, often I'll ask myself, um, what am I here to learn today? And specifically in the writing, you know, or the projects or even with my children, um, you know, if they're having a hard time, I'll wrap them in light. I, I'll, as I wrap my arms around the tree, I wrap them in light and I visualize them feeling good and feeling comfortable. Um, and feeling nourished. And then sometimes I'll even put my left hand on the tree and my right hand up or vice versa to be in a frequency of flow. May I be in flow. May I be in right action. May I be connected to my truth. May I continue to evolve in my truth. So I think there's a lot of, um, when we can start to talk to ourselves like this, um, just like you were saying, like, what is good here? What is good here? That's good stuff. 
And you give yourself permission to do it. First, it feels a little funny. I also do things like that in the bath all the time. I'll pray or I'll tone or sing, you know, right? And I, I teach people also, I encourage them like, pray in the bath, like get in the bath and just pray and cry, cry hard if you need to and pray for forgiveness for yourself or others or pray for what is needed on this planet, whatever you can do, because we're needing something within us that needs to be expressed. And that's really, really, really important. I love that. I do something similar. I have, you know, all of my, <laughs> I'm sure if we all saw each other's houses, I'm like, I have all my, my corner and then my this and then my that, and this is where I do this. And, um, but the bath is, is like alchemy for me too. I, I need to be in water and, um, and, and that's often where a lot of emotion lives and feels safe to come out and, and using your voice. And I, I, you know, um, healing is, 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 is really, it can be messy and fun and creative and, you know, giving space for that. And we do this with the girls. We're always, you know, let's go, we're going to go, you know, yell into the ocean or we're going to go stomp our feet into the earth and, you know, put your hands in the soil or go be with the goats or, you know, we, we bring the girls into nature, but this for anyone listening, like you said, you know, finding little pockets, even, you know, they exist. I lived in New York city. I still found those places and spaces, um, or your own bath or the shower and letting the water run over your body and cutting the energetic cords of the day and, and, you know, ritual, um, can be as, as simple or as, or as, um, you know, profound as you need it to be. And I think mm -hmm. that's something I've really learned from you. And I just love that that's such a big piece of your message and what you're teaching people is how to be in communion with nature and communion with oneself and, um, in communion with the divine. And I'm curious if you have, it's a, obviously the ineffable and undefinable, but um, sort of in your own words, what the relationship with divine means mm. to you. Great question. Um, there's a presence that uh, is unseen that, however, is uh, palpable in that it's comfortable, it's supportive, it's nourishing, it's the one that whispers, those little whispers, um, like, you can do this, you got this, try it this way. Those kind of, um, that kind of energy is what I feel it is. And I feel it's a two-way energy. It comes from within, um, really from, you know, our center for women. It's the womb. It's our source of power and knowledge and wisdom that we're here to reclaim at this time and um, to shatter some of the boxes that, you know, uh, have been around. Um, you can only, um, you know, receive a message from the divine if you're, if you've done this training or that training. Like, I, I just, I just want to, you know, give everyone permission that if you show up for your meditation daily if you go out in nature as often as you can um, without distraction um, those kind of energies is where the divine dwells and wants to support you to live your best life so beautiful it's right there. And I love that you said that because I think sometimes people think it's over there or I have to go be initiated or have some sort of training. And it's like, it's right here in the breath. It's right here in the eye contact. It's right here, you know, looking outside your window at the, at the bush, you know, it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. Um, oh, I love that. I, I'm, something I love about being in your, your presence and witnessing you and, and feeling you is, is you're such a permission giver. Um, and I just, that was just the way that you said that felt like a reminder to me and permission to me that, um, it's, it's right here. It's mm -hmm. like at the tip of our tongue. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious how you teach about this relationship to your own children. Um, sometimes what I know to be true about children, especially as they get into their teens, they sometimes want to deny or, uh, whatever their mom is into, they're like, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm just curious how, um, you sort of keep the, 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 the veil mm -hmm. open or the portal open to this, this world that you feel and see, um, for them. Mm -hmm. 
Great question. I would say I have an open door policy. Uh, they're always welcome. And they've never, uh, my girls, I've never pushed or forced them to um, do the things I'm doing. Yet I make it like cozy and comfortable, like hot chocolate and tea in the thermos in the forest while I build my altar and they climb trees and they sip their tea in the tree. Um, there's cookies, you know, like I just, I, I feel like, um, it's not about food or, you know, but it's, it's about, um, an open door energy where it, they feel cozy. It's not like if they have to be a certain way or anything's dogmatic, it's like we we're creating in the moment always. And, um, they, you know, they practice yoga with me sometimes. And it's really sweet. This is a really sweet story because kids, I feel love this at any age. Like when, you know, my father-in-law lives in Mexico. And so we get to go uh, and stay with him sometimes on a family holiday. And every year, no matter what age, the girls are like, and we're going to do yoga every morning on, on the patio. Right. And like, they they somehow even though they don't practice with me all the time here in Vancouver but like when we go there it's like oh that's what and then we practice yoga with you every morning right and it's like so sweet because I think there's rhythm and so following you know and they you know we we're coming into the holiday season like we celebrate um solstice Hanukkah Christmas and Dust Rose's birthday is on January 1st so we do we do all the things and I I really love that. And then we also have parties for their friends and they come over and they do a gift exchange. Like I, I just really feel like this open door um, and connection to community is of all ages. And that's, you know, when I have people come over and we do, um, you know, dinner parties or, you know, whatever solstice um, gatherings, I, it's always all ages, all ages, all stages, everyone's welcome. And I feel that if we can model that, there's no exclusivity ever. Yeah. I love that. I think everyone probably listening is like, can Mara be my mom? <laughs> I want to go drink hot cocoa in the forest totally. with Mara. Like, yeah. I want to go do that. Yeah. I want to go do that. And I love, I love going back to what you said about snacks, picking your kids up with snacks. As oh. I think about myself as a kid that was getting picked up from school and then I had to go to dance and I'm just hungry and I'm pissed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to need you to feed. I'm still like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm still like that. Yeah. I think I'm half like the world <laughs> is walking around hangry most of the time. It's like, feed us, feed your, feed your people. Totally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What is that thing? Like, um, uh, halt or are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired or something? Um, and it's usually we're, we're one of the things. Yes. Um, I love that. If, as we wrap up here, I'm curious if, um, I mean, to me, I've said this so many times, but you are just like, you're just like the ultimate woman for me. I'm like, Aww. you are just such an embodiment of, of to me what it means to be woman. And I'm curious um, in, in now your 50 years, if there's something you could tell women or say to women, um, what is it? I know that's sort of a vague and big mm. question, but, um, or what you're witnessing with, with, with women right now in this time, because it's such an interesting time, like you said, there's yeah. a an awakening happening, I think, for so many. And so, mm -hmm. um, and you're really a leader of, of a lot of that movement or a guide in that movement where, you know, I look to you and mm. I'm certain so many others do. Of like what, mm. What's needed for us? Where do we need to look? Other than the rest piece, um, yeah. what, what, what does the world need of women right now? I think that we, that's a, well, first of all, thank you for all of your love and support. And I feel the same as uh, about you. So uh, we're together, we're together on this journey. And I really feel like when you first said, like, what do, what do women need? I feel we need to clean up our mental chatter. I feel we need to clean up what's going, what's the narrative in the head. And because the narrative will always shift. And like you said, there's, you know, that, that tendency to like grasp for fear, for doubt, for like the tendency to think it's not going to work out. Um, or the, and also 
getting to the origin of some of those narratives so that you can actually liberate yourself. And a lot of them come from our family of origin. So that's where our work is. And if we can clean that up, we're not going to pass it on to the next generation. Um, and we're going to liberate ourselves um, from that so we can actually get down to the work that we really want to do. I love that. And, and to me, it feels urgent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it feels really urgent. It's now and, and, and thinking about the next generation of, you know, who's inheriting this fear and this doubt. And it's like, we are the ones that need to stop it in its tracks. And it's a day to day process. That's why, you know, these, these rituals, they're not luxury. It's a necessity to, <laughs> to, to be up and to be in, in communion with spirit or however you want to define that for yourself. And like you said, hear the BS and clear it, clean it yeah. up. It's time to it, clean it up. Yeah. And so the meditation, the candle lighting, the journaling, those are all things that are free. You know, we don't, you know, of course, we're going to get our counselors and our therapists on board when we can and all of that, if we can. And, and though the daily, it's the daily work that is generative of our own evolution. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. So beautiful. Um, And for people that want to work with you or connect to you, where's the best place to to find you or find your amazing books? Thank you. Just my website, marabranscombe.com. So my name and it'll all be there. Amazing. Yeah. The books are, I, even as we were talking, I was feeling this book, like it literally has a pulse, this book, (laughs) like it feels like it's pulsating. Um, and it's so rich and so deep and it's a book that you can, you know, turn to any page, um, and, and feel like you can really pull something out of and, and receive. And it's certainly both books have been like that for me, but they just feel like this living, breathing, pulsation it just I don't know how to explain it It has its own sort of energetic signature or imprint and it's it's really wild and alive this book Mm. both of them so Mm. thank you for your 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 dedication and your discipline and and for answering the call Um, I think that's also what I want people to get out of this conversation is like you you answered the call you saw the image you know of yourself holding that book and you you um you showed up for it. Mm. And that takes a lot of, uh, everything, you know, all of you, it takes all of you, mm-hmm. um, and, and look at the way it's helping and healing the world. So thank mm. you. Just the deepest bow of, of reverence and respect and gratitude. Um, thank you for showing us a way forward. And I just love you so much. Oh, I love you, Ali Maz. And I just, I'm in awe of what you're creating and sharing unapologetically with the world so thank you thank you thank you for answering the call yeah.